Awesome. How's everybody doing today? Good. I, I'm, I'm better than I sound, I promise. So uh, you're going to go with me, right? You're going to lean in. I, I, I was thinking maybe, you know what, God is wise and God knows what he wants to do. And, and maybe he just wanted to whisper this weekend. So uh, we're going to jump in and we are going to just open God's word together. Uh, I want to welcome everybody watching online, tuning in online or wherever you are. Uh, we are one church in multiple locations. I'm glad those of you who are here at the Valley Campus chose to come out and be here today. Uh, I learned something in 2002. I spent the summer traveling the southern United States, and I went from camp to camp, and it was my first experience for an extended period of time in a different culture. Here in the south, it's a different culture. Uh, they, they, they talk different, they act different, they're great, wonderful people, but it's very different. It's not quite the same as it is here. A lot of similarities, but they're different cultures. And I learned something in 2002 that cultures carry gravitational weight. That when you are around a culture or in a culture, the culture is not static, but it is active and it actually has the weight and power to influence you. Anybody know what I'm talking about? I spent the summer there and it's not that I picked up a southern drawl by any sense of the imagination, but I found out when I got home, I was out shooting baskets with my best friend Mark and uh, it was like September, I'd spent the summer away and we were catching up and he looked at me funny and he said, you're talking weird. I said, what do you mean I'm talking weird? He said, you're saying house and about. You're saying about wrong. You're saying house wrong. And, he, and he, saw, he noticed that I lost my maritime conviction to how we do vowels, you know, like John Jervis down to Grand Bay Home Hardware, right? Like that. John Jarvis, I don't know if you go here, man, but you, are, you have a great maritime accent. I just want to tell you, shout out John Jarvis. But we, we, we missed, we, I missed, I lost somewhere along the way that commitment I had to, to how I do value, vow, vowels. And, and it taught me something, and I've learned this over the last decade and a half, uh, that, that culture has the power to influence you. That, that you don't just exist in a culture and that the gravita gravitational weight of the culture that you are in is going to influence you whether you like it or not. And so as a Christian, it, it's... It's imperative and so important that we give more weight to the culture of the kingdom than the culture of the world, and we place the culture of the kingdom as our ultimate authority, or we will be unaware of how we are drifting towards values and ideologies that are more world-based than word-based. I don't know if you've noticed, but since I was a child, uh, the culture we live in is less congruent to Judeo-Christian values. Uh, I grew up, and in, in most, most commonly, teachers uh, in, in the public school system would read Bible stories and could pray and all those things, and, and that's shifted. And I'm not making a comment whether that's right or wrong. I actually think there's a lot of good things that are happening because there's been a bit of a shift in the culture. It's causing Christians to have to ask, what do we believe? That's not a bad thing. But you got to know something today, that the world you live in is different than it was 20 years ago. And that the culture of the world and the culture of the word, the culture of the church, the culture of the kingdom of God, they've grown quite far apart. There used to be a lot of congruencies. There used to be a lot of things that lined up. There used to be a lot of things that just, yes, we believe that as Christians and we believe that as Canadians. But now those two cultures have drifted farther apart. And I don't know if you've noticed this or not, but there is a gravitational dance. There is a, there is a growing chasm between what the Bible says and what Judeo-Christian values oppose and what, what the world is actually saying is valuable and right and true. And so as a Christian, it's very easy to find yourself being pulled. And I, I've noticed in my own life, and I've noticed even as a pastor over the last 12 years, 
that I'll catch myself saying something or nodding in agreement to something that when I back up and I think about what I'm really saying and think about what I'm really agreeing to isn't founded in Christian biblical principles. It's actually founded in, stu- in values of the world. And I've noticed that increasingly in our own community, in our own context, that how, how, how much are we being influenced by val- a value system? And I'm not saying it's right or wrong. I'm saying how much are we being influenced by a value system that isn't founded on this? And so for the next few weeks, what I want to do is I want to jump into a new series we're calling Trending. And I want to look at some of the conversations and some of the things that are going on in the world that you and I live in today. Welcome to 2018. You're here, and I want to look at some of the the conversations and the topics that are most gravitationally powerful, the things that have the most implications and the things that are probably the most difficult to reconcile uh, our biblical opinion and Christian opinion with maybe the way that the world is going. And so I want to look at that over the next few weeks in this series we're calling Trending. We're going to look at a bunch of different things But I want to lay some ground rules before I jump into today's today's topic. And here they are. Here's some precursors and some ground rules. First and foremost, uh, this is a series for us. Uh, We're doing this series for our community. This isn't something that I'm doing to make some statement for people who aren't part of King's Church or people who aren't Christians, people who don't believe what we believe. This is not some uh, essay that we are creating to show people where we stand on on the hot topics. That's not what this is. This is a series for us to get the biblical principles so that you and I can navigate this world in this time. Like it or not, Jesus chose you to be born in this day and in this time and in this place, and he fully expects you to be able to navigate it in a way that honors him. So, so, this is for us. This is for us. We're doing this, and this is part of a product of the season that we're in as a church. If you were here back in the spring, I I launched the vision for this next year, and the vision for this year is we're going to root ourselves down. We've spent a lot of time in the last couple of years adding campuses and growing out. And that's part of the heart of God. God came to seek people and to reach people. And so we've been going out and trying to grow the church out. But we said for this season, what we're going to do now is we're going to try to grow up. We're trying to learn. We're trying to grow. We're trying to root ourselves down to, to grow in the likeness of Christ, to grow in the things of the Spirit. That's why we did the Turn the Key series. And that's why we're doing this. This is a family conversation. So let me just say something here right now. This is for us. This is not a series to be used to speak out against someone. Be careful why you share these sermons. Be careful why you share these sermons. This is to encourage and empower and refine you. We are Christians. We are a church. And we believe what we believe. But you have to. If you're going to be like Jesus, you have to give other people permission to believe what they're going to believe. And so we are not reaching over our fence saying, we're right and you're wrong. That's not what this is. This is an effort to look at what the word says. Do not use these sermons to attack someone. Do not use these sermons to fight back against the culture wars. No, we are building a counterculture and a kingdom culture. We are building the church. And our culture is supposed to shine within this community. It's supposed to shine a light in the darkness of the world. We're not trying to get out there and change things everywhere we go. We're trying to change ourselves, and it shines light everywhere we go. And so do not use this as a weapon. Do, another another rule, do keep an open mind. 
Beware of your own offense, your own tendency to be offended. Beware of your own presuppositions. Beware of where your ultimate influence is coming. If it's coming from relationships and experience more than it's coming from what this book actually says, I want you to kind of lay that out and open yourself up to say, God, what do you say on these matters? I'm listening. So keep an open mind. And we're going to keep this, number four, we're going to keep this biblical. This is a conversation based right here. It's not, I'm not a psychologist, I'm not a sociologist, uh, I'm not bringing you my expert opinion. This is what I have to stand on, and I'm hanging on to this for dear life, in this season especially. So don't come, if you, if you have opinions, and we're going we're gonna to actually launch a podcast here uh, over in the coming weeks, where we're going to kind of deal with some of the more ground level discussions that we're going we're gonna to be, gonna be bringing to you. But if you have opinions or pushback, or maybe you say, hey, I don't agree with you because if your because is not based on this, I'm not, I don't want to hear it. You know, if your because is based on your experience or someone that you know, or if it's not based on your interpretation of the scripture, we're not having the same conversation. Does that make sense? The conversation that we're having is right here. What does this book say about these topics and trends? So that's, that's all we're trying to do right now is just say, what does the word have to say to the world. We are keeping it biblical, realizing, here, here's the thing you've got to understand. Jesus said, I am the same. I never change. I was the same yesterday, today, and forever. He said, before Abraham was, I am. He says, says in Isaiah, it says, the grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord stands forever. God has spoken. It's our job to listen. So we're looking at the scripture to ask the questions of today. And so today's topic, are you ready? Yes. All right, everybody comfortable, feeling good? I feel some tension in the room. Relax. All right, this is good news. Seriously, what do we have to fear if we believe this is true and we believe this is good news? Hey, relax. All right, today's topic, at the heart of all of the growing incongruity with the value system of the world and the value system of the word and the value system of Christian kingdom culture, at the heart of it, I want to get to it. I want to start right at the very core of what is giving birth and way to these diametrically opposed or growing apart realities. And it's the issue and topic of identity. It's the topic of identity. We live in a world that views identity and human existence and human value very differently than what Judeo-Christian values, that, than how we view things. We, we live in a world that views identity very different. In 19, uh, it was 1998, Steve Jobs introduced a product called the iMac. Anybody remember the iMac when it came out? And, and it, was a, it was a revolutionary introduction, not because of necessarily the computer or the operating system, although a lot of us Apple geeks would say it is, but really the genius of Steve Jobs wasn't in the hardware or the technology or the software, it was in the marketing. He understood something about where the world had come. He changed things and he knew that the average person was ready for a personalized computer experience, that the world had moved to a place that where it valued personal experiences more than anything else. And so he named it the iMac. And then he rolled out the iPod and the iPhone and the iPad and the iOS. And his whole line of products were based around you. 
He understood that culture had moved to this place where we live in an I world. We live in an I world. That is the main focus of this modern day culture. It is on you. We value two things. The world values two things above anything else. This is what you have to understand. The culture that you and I live in, the world that you and I live in, values autonomy and authenticity more than anything else. Autonomy in this idea of individuality, this is where we get that terminology like, uh, you know what, you do you, right? You've heard that one? You do you, I'll do me, your truth is your truth, my truth is my truth, and we're not gonna mix those two things. You have the right to think what you want, and, you, and you're right, you, you do you, and I'm gonna, be, I'm gonna be me, and I'm gonna do me. We value autonomy and individuality as supreme, and with that, because we value autonomy, we value authenticity. This is this idea of staying true to yourself. Have you heard that one? You got to stay true to who you are. You got to stay true to yourself. You got to find yourself and you got to stay true to that or you're being fake. That's not real. And so the world that we live in values these two realities, autonomy and authenticity. You define you. You rule you. This is the main ethos of the world that you live in. If you have not noticed that, welcome to 2018. This is how the world works and lives. Jonathan Grant, in his book, Divine Sex, said it like this, modern authenticity encourages us to create our own beliefs and morality. The only rule being that we must resonate with who we feel we really are. The worst thing we can do is conform to some moral code that is imposed on us from outside by society, our parents, the church, or whoever else. It is deemed to be self-evident that any such imposition would undermine our unique identity. The authentic self believes that personal meaning must be found within ourselves or must resonate with our one-of-a-kind personality. We live in an I world. It's a world that is longing to find self-expression at all costs, to define your own rules and regulations and autonomy, and you can't step in and say something is right or wrong. That's right for you, that's right for me, and we're going to leave it at that. That's the world we live in. And this is a product of the Enlightenment. About 300 years ago, humans began to think differently. Humans began to get some new ideas from guys like Rousseau and Locke and Hobbes and, and Voltaire. And they started to think differently about, uh, you know, human reason. It used to be that human beings looked to divine revelation primarily. And then the Enlightenment came along and we started to focus more on human reason. And human reason is a good thing. We value that around here. We did a whole series last fall about, or last Christmas, about the reason for faith, the intellect about it. Good things came from the Enlightenment. Many good things. Scientific progress, the balance of powers, uh, you know, equality and healthy justice for the oppressed, human rights. All these great things came from the Enlightenment. However, humanity has continued to track beyond just valuing reason, and now it holds reason as supreme, and it has lost the place for fear of God and divine revelation. And what has happened in that is that we have now lost God altogether in the picture of how we see the world and see ourselves. And so for people who don't believe in God, okay. But for the Christian, you got to understand when you are influenced by this kind of postmodern, post-enlightenment thinking, it is diametrically opposed to the foundation of all that we believe, and that is this, that there is a God. 
And that we, we, we serve him and we, we submit our intellect at the end of the day and we look for divine revelation primarily and the divine revelation informs our human reasoning. So this is the world we live in and this shift has changed and it has changed the value system in the West. In his book called Transgender, which was a super helpful book for me even in preparing today, uh, Vaughn Roberts said this. He said, over the last few decades, the primacy of self-expression has become an unquestioned assumption for many. No one has the right to question or challenge how an individual chooses to define themselves. It should be obvious by now how these changes in our cultural values have impacted the way that many view gender. If we are free to define our own identity without being bound by the old conventions, then that will include the outdated constricting of binary male or female understanding of gender. And so this is where we have arrived today because of this kind of postmodern, post-enlightenment value system, it has eroded the old categories of what we used to understand our own identity, all the way to one of the most intimate ones in gender identity. Now the categories of just male and female are insufficient in the world that you live in. Like if you go on Facebook, Facebook has 70-some gender pronouns that you can choose from, and then they have a fill-in-the-blank that says, Pick your own. And they actually say, there's a statement on there that we want, we want to be able to help people stay true to their authentic self. And listen, we don't, we don't, you don't need to judge that. This is for us. I just want you to, I want to show you the world that we live in. Uh, I received in the last couple of years a sheet of paper for my kids that I had to help. I had to choose what their preferred associated identification is in, in their gender. This is where we live. This is the world that we live in where gender and marriage are increasingly viewed as human invention and social constructs that are rep repressive and regressive and actually are a bad thing. And so we are seeing this come to the forefront more and more. And so here's the question I want to ask. This is the landscape. How do we as Christians understand, express, and respond to issues surrounding identity? I want you to note the conversation around gender identity is a complex one. It is very complex for people who don't believe what we believe. And we'll talk about it some. A lot of questions I won't be able to answer today, but hopefully we will on the podcast. Uh, but the gender identification and conversation is the fruit of a much larger conversation that I want you to engage with. Because some of you are here today. And the gender identity conversation hits very close to home. You have friends, loved ones, a family member who's actually going through it. Maybe you yourself have struggled with gender dysphoria. Or maybe you are a person who feels like you were born in the wrong body. And you identify more as someone who is part of a different sex than what your anatomy has, has been born with. That could be you. But today I actually want to broaden the conversation and talk in terms of how we understand identity in general as Christians. I can assure you that at the heart of the question of what does it mean to be a Christian in the 21st century, you have to be able to answer the question of how do I identify myself? This is a pertinent question. And the world is asking the right question. I would just suggest they are, they are answering it the wrong way by self-identifying. The, the Christian ethos is very different. How do we as Christians understand identity? First and foremost, I want to say this. As it pertains to people outside of the church who are uh, gender fluid or transsexual, or transgender, asexual, the way that we are to respond to them is not alienation. 
The church has been terrible at that. We don't understand them, so we, we withdraw or villainize them. And we, we can't do that. And it's not the Jesus we know and serve. Jesus was so lavish in grace. He, he saw one category of, 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 of person, and that is this, human. And he went after them, always. They called him a glutton and, and a drunkard because he was hanging around those people. The church, we got to get back to that church. Really, we do. we got to be the people. I don't want to be accused of being that because I hang around those people. I don't want to be that church that's all safe and sound in this nice little neat pocket, okay? So alienation is not the answer. Jesus never alienated anybody. However, affirmation is not the answer either. Jesus was fully, fully committed to, to speak the truth in love. And he never backed off from that. And so we as Christians have to learn to imitate Christ in having compassion and acceptance, unending compassion and acceptance, open doors, open arms, and yet immovable convictions at the same time. And Jesus modeled that. And, and I know this is difficult in the day and age we live. I know this is part of the reason a lot of you are nervous about this series is because today, if you disagree with someone, that's hate. That's phobia. You're, you're a transphobe. If you say that, if you disagree, you're a homophobe if you disagree. And we, we, we have to hold fast to loving all people and holding true to the convictions that we believe that God has put down. And we, don't have, we, don't, we, can't, we can't fall for the cultural narrative. Listen, it is not phobia to disagree. It is not hate to disagree. Acceptance does not mean affirmation. I accept my child, and I always will, no matter what he or she says. I will never, ever not accept them. They're mine. However, I don't affirm everything they do. Real love looks like more than just a blanket affirmation, doesn't it? And so we got we to gotta walk like Jesus, full of grace and truth. All right, I got four observations really fast. I'm going to try to get through this. Four things to help you answer the question. When it comes to identity, when it comes to answering the question, you know, how do you identify you? Four things. You need to write these down. First and foremost, here's the Christian understanding. When it comes to identity, I believe, number one, I am created. I am created, and this is really important. And there's a lot of people who won't share Christian values that believe they're created, but we have to start here. I believe I have been made. The part at the foundation of the Judeo-Christian understanding, the foundation of our faith is this, this belief that I'm not a mistake. I did not emerge out of some cosmic puddle, but I have a creator and a designer who spoke me into motion, spoke the earth into motion and designed me and fearfully and wonderfully made me and knitted me together in my mother's womb and gave me uniqueness and gave me an identity and gave me a purpose and he gave me all these things. This is what we believe. We believe we are made. That's important because that flies against some cultural understanding. The cultural understanding today is that you actually make yourself. You make yourself. You have the ability to express yourself and form yourself however you want. Identity is something to be self-defined and discovered. And gender used to be synonymous with physiology. Your gender was what your physiological body told you. It was your anatomy, anatomically. Uh, but today, 
More people use gender to describe not anatomy or physiology, but feelings or psychology, how they themselves feel. That's my gender, not my physiology. That's, that's the world you live in. Again, if you're hearing me, I'm not putting any kind of tone to that. I'm just saying this is the world that we live in. Your own internal self, sense of self and your own sense of self-expression informs your gender. The, the best understanding is that sex used to be used for biological term, the biological understanding, or sorry, sex today is biological and gender has more to do with self-expression. This is very different than our understanding as Christians. We believe we are made. Genesis 1, look what it says, Genesis 1.1. The whole book starts this way. Do you think that's important? Yep, first line's always important. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now that is a loaded statement if there ever was one. I wish I had more time, but you need to see something. One, God made things. So we're not here by happenstance. There's design and functionality. But right in the beginning of the narrative, and this is a poem. This isn't a scientific document. It's a poem. It's a piece of art that is meant to show us meaning and intention. And right there in the beginning, you see what? You see binaries. That the way that God formed everything to work, the way that God brought everything together was actually through binaries. God made the heavens and the earth the first day. And then it says the second day. And it goes on and it says that God made the day and the night. God made the sun and the moon. God made the land and the sea, the sky and the ground, the birds of the air and the fish of the sea. God made these things that are meant to form this one big thing, but they have their own uniqueness and individuality and purpose. But there are these binaries that he's sewing together and it culminates in the invention and creation of humanity. Look what it says in verse 26. It says, then God said, let us make man in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the livestock, and all the wild animals, over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. That's important. In the image of God, he created them. Watch this. Male and female, he created them. God made male and female, both humans. Those are the categories, and we were made in his image. And God blessed them. He blessed maleness, and he blessed femaleness. And he said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. So procreate, enjoy life, fill the earth and subdue it. And God saw all saw all that he had made and he said it was very good. Now it's super important that you see right in here that we believe that male and female are not arbitrary feelings. It doesn't say that Adam felt male and Eve felt female. It says God pronounced maleness. This is something that was done without your permission. The fact that you're a man or the fact that you're a woman, whatever you were born with, that was done, however you were born was done without your permission. We believe that, that God had the right to determine what gender you were going to be. God made male and female, and he purposed these two binary realities. This is important. You have to understand yourself. I'm designed. I'm destined. I have a purpose and meaning that's connected to God. Listen, God gave us all these things, our design, our functionality. He he gave us male and female. He gave us meaning and purpose. He said, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it, rule over it. He gave us glory. It says in his image, we have been created to radiate the glory of God. We've been made with distinction. You know that longing inside of everyone's heart to matter? 
God put that there. That's what it means to be made in his image. There is a capacity inside of you for glory. You've been distinct, you've been made distinctly. God made us in his image, male and female. Jesus affirms this. Look at this, Matthew 19. These are the words of Jesus. A lot of the time people will say, well, that's Old Testament. The Old Testament only, only sets, up the, sets up the platform for the New Testament. It's all, connect, it's all connected. But look what Jesus says, Matthew 19. Haven't you heard, he replied, that at the beginning the creator made them, male and female. To Jesus there were no other categories. And he said, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife. And to the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. So to Jesus, he affirms the scripture. He affirms this kind of understanding and ideology that we believe we are made and God made human beings, male or female. These are the two expressions. It's very important, church, that you understand when you think about the fact that you have been made and you think about who you are, it's very important that you understand yourself as an embodied being. Your body matters. This is a new kind of thinking that has actually crept back from actually the Greeks back in Jesus' day. This is called Gnosticism, where they separated your psychology, the suke, the soul. They separated that from your body. This is what Paul is talking about in 1 Corinthians when he's saying, hey, listen, your body is part of you. But there was this kind of ethos in Paul's day, and this is back in our day, that says your body is for you, but your body is not you. Your body is for you, that you can do with it what you want. You can use it how you want to help affirm the real you. But Christians believe, no, my body is not for me. My body, my body is me. My body is me. That, that is part of who I am. That is part of the God image in me. That God is maybe an embodied sexual being. That is who we are. That's what we believe. That's super important because that means a few things. It means I'm not an accident. It means that I find fulfillment from my connection to God, not from my connection to myself. It means that I am not my own. The Bible says you've been bought at a price. The Bible says the, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. Do you know who's in the fullness thereof? You. You are God's property. That's what we believe. We believe we are God's property. I am not my own. Isn't that a different understanding than our current cultural landscape? You don't belong to you. You don't have the right. God does. That, that is at the foundation of what we believe. I, I want to push on that. And this is, listen, if you think this is a message for those people, you are not hearing me. This ideology of me and my I world has crept deep into the fabric of how we all think. You are not your own. You have been made. You were bought with a price, the Bible says. We have been created. I have a predetermined function and purpose, and my gender, number five, is informed primarily by my physiology, not my psychology. This is what we believe. Your, your gender is informed primarily by your physiology, not your psychology. This is why Paul was trying to tell the men in, in Corinth about how they present themselves. Present yourself as male. He was telling the females to present yourself as female. These, these scriptures have misinterpreted. The heart of what he's trying to say is this. If God made you male, you stay true to how God made you, not, not, how, not how you feel. That's what he's getting at. It's important to note something right here, though. The Bible, although it is very closed in the fact that there are two main genders, uh, it is very open and it has a wide gate on what it looks like to express masculinity and femininity. And I want to put that out there. 
Like, you got to understand something. I think this is one of the big flaws of all of our thinking and a big error of our time is that we, we, we actually try to superimpose gender on people based on how they feel. And the Bible actually doesn't superimpose what it means to be male. In fact, if you look at some of the heroes of the Old Testament, you look at David. David is this, like, he's a man's man in some ways. Like, he's this giant killer warrior guy. But he also, like, rocks the harp in poetry, right? Like, he's, it doesn't define what masculine looks like. It has a wider expression. And the same with females. You see, you see in, the, in the Bible, it, it blurs the categories a lot more than what it would in our culture. And it's important that you know that, that, that the Bible doesn't dictate how you express yourself. Like just because you're a guy and you don't identify with male things does not make you a guy is what I'm trying to say. Doesn't not make you a male or female just because you're a female and you don't want to be barefoot and pregnant. That doesn't mean that you're not female. The Bible gives room for expression, but it does not give room for you to change your fundamental identity. It doesn't say be whatever you want to be. In fact, it says don't present yourself as a gender that you're not. It says in Deuteronomy 22, it says in 1 Corinthians 11, it says you can't present yourself as something that is not what God made you. you have to, again, we don't, we don't stay true to ourselves, we stay true to our God. So as a Christian, you have to understand first and foremost that you've been created. Where is my time going? My goodness, this is important stuff. So I was made, okay? We got that established. Now this doesn't help a lot of people in navigating the question of gender especially. Like it's people who, are, who maybe are transgender, people who are, are homosexual, those kind of things that, that don't necessarily fall nice and neatly into here. Uh, the fact that you were created doesn't help them navigate. It doesn't help the argument that much because the kickback is, well, if I was created, then God made me this way, right? God made me a man who, who, who identifies as a woman or God made me a, a woman who feels more like a man. So if God made me that way, then I'm staying true to God by staying true to how I feel. That's, that's generally where, where a lot of people land, people who aren't atheists, but, but definitely aren't are following kind of this, this, the scriptural prescriptions. And they see this kind of complexity in here. And you got to understand something too. Like these aren't simple, simple issues. And for those of you who don't know anything about gender dysphoria, transgender, uh, asexual, there are about one in 5,000 people who are born. You can't actually distinguish whether or not they're male or female. This is complicated stuff and it's not that simple and so a lot of times, though, because in the comp complexity of it, in the kind of deep feeling of it, and you got to understand, like, these folks, the, pe the people who are, like, transgender, for instance, they feel that at the deepest part of who they are. This isn't something they're fabricating in their mind. you got to understand that. The deepest places of who they are, that is how they feel. And so the argument is, well, if God made me this way, then why, why, would, you, why would I not be true to that? And the Christian understanding goes further than just that God made you, but God made you, but then something else happened. Number two, if you're writing notes, write this down. Oh my goodness, I gotta hurry up. When it comes to the question of identity, I don't just believe that I am made, but I believe I am broken. I'm broken. That, that to the answer of, well, I was born this way, the, the gospel actually says you must be born again. That's the gospel. The gospel says that every human being, because of the fall, because of sinfulness, because of brokenness, because of disobedience in humanity, we don't believe that you were made just fine and dandy. 
None of us were. That's the central message of the gospel, that we are broken in need of rescue. And that's not just for people who are transgender or have a different type of sexuality than you and I do. That is for all people. Every single human being was born as a broken mess. Yeah? You were. I was. Every race and nationality, every culture, every conviction, every person, rich, poor, black, white, young, old, gay, straight, homosexual, heterosexual, transgender, asexual, all of us born broken. That's the problem. And so the answer about this, well, I was born this way, baby, I was born this way, as Lady Gaga says, we would say, our Christian perspective would be, yeah, and God came to rescue you. God came to save us, all of us, that we, that we were born and you can kind of hunker down in your own individuality, but here's the deal. Staying true to yourself will only last as long as you last because you're not that true. And we got to find someone or something or something greater, something truer, something more powerful, something more potent, something more loving, more life-giving, more transcendent, more glorious. we got to attach ourselves to something more true if I'm ever going to exist more than just for the next 20, 30, 40 years. What about forever? And so the invitation of the gospel is that you are born again in faith in Jesus. Von Roberts says it like this in his book, Transgender. Look what he says. He says, the Bible's insight that we are all both created and broken is vital for our understanding, not just transgender questions, but every kind of human affliction, physical and psychological. We have all been profoundly affected by the fall. Here, I just want you to hear this for a second. Christianity does not argue that how you feel isn't real. It doesn't argue that it's not valid. It doesn't argue that it's not deeply close to who you are. So if you if you if you are a Christian and you are telling somebody that, you know, it's a choice, that's not the Christian ethic. It doesn't really even matter anyway, because we would say there's a conversation behind the conversation of how you feel, and that is this: you're broken. All of us. Left to ourselves, the Bible says there's no unrighteous, not even one. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Left to ourselves, we are destined for death. This is why Jesus came. Jesus came that we would have life and life to the full. That's the gospel. Jesus came that we would know life. John 1, in the beginning was God, and what God was, word, and the word was God, and we, and we beheld his glory full of grace and truth. John 3, for God so loved the world that he came, and he gave his only son that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. But if you don't believe in him, you stand condemned already. This is the gospel. Do you see that? Jesus was talking to a guy named Nicodemus one night, and Nicodemus asked, okay, how do I find life? Like, how do, you, you, you're telling me you came to rescue us. You're telling me you came that I could find life. How do I find this, this kingdom of heaven you're telling me I was made for? How do I connect myself back to God like you're talking about? And Jesus said this. He said in John 3, he said, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom unless you are born again. So at the core of our faith is actually being born again in our faith in Christ. You see, Christianity is about believing in Jesus, who is life and who is truth. Jesus came and said, I am the way, I am the truth, 
and I am the life. And no one comes to the Father but through me. He is the way to new life. He is how you get born again when you believe in Jesus. But here's the deal. It's a tough, it's a tough invitation. It's a beautiful one, but it's a hard one. Jesus told his disciples in Matthew 16, he said, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? You see, to the, to the, to the answer, God made me this way, so I have to stay true to that. The, the, the gospel says this, Jesus did not come to affirm you, he came to save you. He did not come to affirm you in your brokenness. He came to save you from it. And that's for every single person, every single soul, even for people who feel that deep, close to their identity. Here's the deal about your identity. How do you answer that question? I'm made and I'm marred. I am broken and I need fixing. I am lost and I need finding. I'm blind and I need sight. I'm dead and I need life. That's the heart of the gospel. And Jesus came for us to be all of those things. See, the, the world screams, this is who I am. I was born this way. Accept me and I'll find life. If you accept me, I'm alive. And Jesus says, this is who I am. You must be born again. Accept me and you will find life. That's the gospel. And he's not wiggling on it. And that's the difficult part of it. And a lot of people who followed Jesus early on left after a while because they got what he was really saying. And that was this, we can't both be king. I'm king and you're not. But here's the good news. You follow me, you're gonna find amazing life and life to the full. But you gotta let go of your rights, let go of your identity, let, lay it down, lay it at the foot of the cross and cling to it. See, before the resurrection, the new life comes a death to self. If you write notes, write this down. When it comes to the question of identity, I identify with Christ. I'm made new. This is what Paul was getting at, Galatians 2.20. He said, I've been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. Did you see that? So here, here's the deal. As a Christian, how, how do you identify yourself? You know, how does Brent Ingersoll identify himself? Well, there's a lot of things that I, I fall to, to self-project, and I, I fall for that trap all the time. But at the bottom line is this, I am crucified with Christ. So beneath all the layers of pastor, husband, father, friend, son, mediocre basketball player, all the labels that I identify myself with, the bottom line, the bottom layer over this man's heart says Jesus. It says Jesus, that's my identity. And I have got to surrender all of the other ones and accept life in him. And when I do that, that's where I find life. The gospel invitation is a declaration. It is ultra inclusive in that everybody is welcome to come to find life in Jesus. Ultra inclusive. And yet it is entirely exclusive that all of the people who come are invited to the same thing. Lay down your life and find a new one in Christ Jesus. All of us. All of us. When it comes to identity, I am made new. I am in him. 
I am his. So what does this look like for us to live out? I know I'm going to cause more questions than answers today, but I wanted to put this framework as you get to sift the, the world that you live in and you hear some of the ideologies. Do you, do you hear how this kind of Christian perspective, it's very different than the world, that, than the words that you're hearing in culture today. It's very different. Don't do you. That's a bad idea. Don't stay true to yourself. The gospel screams that. You stay true to yourself, you're, you're going to die forever and ever. And in fact, in this life, it's not, it's not going to be as good as it could be if you stay true to Jesus. Don't stay true to yourself. Walking out a Christian identity, a few thoughts. What does it mean to walk out a Christian identity? If you're taking notes, you can write these down. First and foremost, you need to discern the difference between the words, world's ideology and the word ideology. Know the difference. Culture says, I'm alive when who I am is accepted by others. The Christian says, I'm alive when I accept who he is and who he says I am. Culture says, I was born this way. The Christian says, you must be born again. Number two, identify as Christian first. How do you identify yourself? Like, I'm not talking to, I'm talking to you. Like, hi, I'm, I'm Brent, I'm a pastor. Or is it, hi, I'm a Jesus follower. My name is Brent, I'm a pastor, and I'm a husband, and I'm a father. What identity is closest to your heart? Number three, be transformed by grace. Realize something today. You have identity issues, severe and deep identity issues and God is continually trying to resurrect you and transform you. Again, I'll say it again. Jesus did not come to affirm you. He came to transform you. Yeah? Can you say, thank you, Jesus? Yeah, like for all of you. Like this is, again, I'm, this is not for those people. I hope you caught that by now. I'm speaking to you. Jesus came to change you and transform you into his image, an image that's ever increasing in glory and strength. It's amazing. Let him transform you. Number four, realize the gospel will cost you something. Following Jesus will cost you something. It will cost you personally. He will ask you to give things and give things up to lose your life so that you can find him and find life in him. It will cost you personally. There will be things he calls you to let go of. I promise you. For everyone. And no one, no one is off the hook on that. And it will cost you socially. It will cost you socially, more and more so in this day and age, because what I'm talking about right now is seen as hate speech. And I assure you, I do not hate anybody. But holding true to the word of God will cost you, and you've got to be ready to count the cost on that. <laughs> I went to get my hair cut a couple weeks ago, and... Uh, my barber told his colleagues, um, or his students, sorry, he was, a, he was a professor at Eastern College and he was teaching how to cut hair. And so I went in to let him do my hair and he told the students, uh, my pastor's coming. And uh, by the time I got there, they'd all left. <laughs> and uh, so it was just me and Clarence. And I got sitting there thinking like, man, Jesus is offensive to some people. It's offensive, and people, it, it will cost you socially. But number five, here's, here's where I want to I land the plane today. It will cost you something, but what we stand to gain is much greater. And so here's the deal. Joyfully extend the gospel of Jesus to others. Do you actually believe 
that the gospel is good news. What is the gospel? First and foremost, I think the church has failed. It's best when we get talking about like the LGBTQ community. We failed because we've extended the law to them. Not the love of God. And the love of God has truth connected to it, but we've, our leading edge has been, you're not. The gospel is this. The kingdom is here. The king is here. Life is found in Jesus. Come to him and then you can live. That's the gospel. Gospel means good news. Have you ever been afraid to tell somebody good news? Huh? No, you can't wait. It was like my son Alex the other day. My, my wife and I hid something from our older two kids, and my, my little guy knew where it was. And we're like, hey, let, let them find it, Alex. Let them find it. He's three. And he's like, guys, guys, it's over here. It's over here. He's like, he couldn't help. He's just like, he's like, I can't not tell you. This is good news. Church, if we actually believe the gospel is good news, then what on earth are we afraid of? Let me ask you this question. Do you believe the gospel is good news for you? Let's take it farther. Do you believe the gospel is good news for the transgender? It is, it is, is Jesus good news for the, for the transgender? Do I actually believe that? God, God checked me on that this, this past couple weeks. Full disclosure, I have been avoiding this topic for years. I've been avoiding this series. But I felt like God just say, stop, stop, stop. And your, your, your community needs to hear and they need to know what we believe. But I had a lot of fear coming into this until God checked me on something. He just, he just dropped something in my spirit and reminded me of an encounter I have with a person, a person who was transgender. God said to me, and he reminded me of this encounter. I'll tell you about it in a second. But he said, you're afraid because you don't think the gospel is actually good news. You think it's bad news. If you thought it was good news, then why are you preparing for a funeral? Why do you have the countenance of the doctor who's coming out of the OR with bad news? Well, I got some bad news for you. You can't be this. You can't do this. Is that the gospel? Or is the gospel actually a call to life and life to the full? Did Jesus actually come that all people could come to know him and come to have life and life to the full? It's the thief that came to rob, steal, kill, and destroy. Not Jesus. And it reminded me of this conversation I had with a, a transgender person who was attending our church. This person came into my office and we had this dialogue just about their life and, and their journey. And it was heartfelt. And, but I proceeded to listen to them tell me about the fact that this was is, this is a, a, a person who was born a male and had chosen to live the life as a female. And they, they began to tell me, hey, you know what? I've lost my wife. I lost my kids. They won't talk to me. I've lost multiple jobs. I don't really have many friends except for the, the transgender community. Outside of that, I don't really have any friends. I've been alienated. I've lost everything. And I remember sitting there listening to this person. It was heart-wrenching heart because they were feeling I could see it. And I remember saying to them, I said, just, can I, I said, can I stand and say this to you in love? Like, this life path doesn't seem like a good deal. I know, I know you feel it deeply, and I know, I know this is real, but this doesn't seem like a good deal. You're telling me you've lost everything. 
So where is the return on the investment? I said to them, I said, it's not that you're not going to lose anything in this life. It's not that Jesus isn't going to call you to lay things down and lose things. I'm just convinced that he can give you far more than you will ever lose. And every, anything, that you, anything that you give up for him, he will return to you tenfold, a hundredfold. This is the invitation of the gospel. It's, it's lose your life so you can find real life. Do we believe that Jesus is big enough and strong enough and kind enough and true enough to be good news for every single person with a heartbeat. He is. The gospel, and I just want to encourage you with this. I'm going to pray and we'll be done. The gospel is good news for everyone. If you're taking notes, number four was this. I believe when it comes to the, the identity question, hey, I don't know all the answers and there are complexities and idiosyncrasies of working all of this out. I just know this, that the gospel is good news for everyone and because it's good news for everyone, we don't run away from anybody. We run towards them with good news. And so I believe the gospel is good news for the transgender, for the bisexual, for the heterosexual, for the homosexual, for the addict, for the drunkard, for the glutton, for the single, for the widower, for the widow. I believe the gospel is good, for the good news for the divorced. I believe God, the gospel is good news for absolutely everybody. It's good news, church. Do you believe that? It's good news. It's good news. Why don't you stand with me? Let's pray. Lord, this is, this is heavy stuff. Because we know we're not just talking about principles and ideas. This isn't, just, this isn't a TED talk. This isn't ideas worth sharing. This affects our lives. This affects real people's lives. Uh, but God, today we just, we just want to affirm our identity. We just say today, Lord, I, I, I say I identify in you, Christ. I identify myself in you and I lay down all my other rights and privileges and I receive the rights and privileges of being a son of Jesus Christ, being made in his image, being set on purpose, being restored and recreated. God, I receive all of the spiritual blessings to be seated in Christ. I, I receive all the spiritual blessings that I have in you today. Lord, we just receive it. God, we just say that you have made us and we have been fearfully and wonderfully made. And even in our dysfunction and brokenness, there's not one single dysfunction in any human being that your grace is not sufficient to deal with, both in this life and in the next. And so God, we just commit ourselves to you and we get excited about the new identity that you call us all to, that we get to believe I'm not who my feelings say I am. I'm not who my past says I am. I'm not who my friends say I am. I'm not who my, my, my father says I am. I'm not who, who my mother says I am. I'm not who my job or my money or all these things that are trying to label me. I'm, not, I'm none of those. I am who you say I am. I'm a son. I'm a daughter. I'm a friend. I am fearfully and wonderfully made. I've been given a purpose. I've been given a hope and a future. I'm yours, and I just receive that today in Jesus' name. We receive it in Jesus' name. Father, would you just let the gospel, the good news of Jesus, well up inside of us so deeply that we wouldn't shy away from being lights in this world. Lord, I, I confess, God, on these issues, I've been tempted to hide my light. 
because I wasn't convinced it was good news. I was more concerned about what, what people stood to lose than what they had to gain. And God, would you just convince us that these light momentary afflictions pale in comparison to what the weight of glory you have for all of us who believe in you. And so we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen, because what is seen is temporary and what is unseen is eternal. We thank you for your truth today and we commit ourselves to it. And we pray this in the mighty name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen.